the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show, which also happens to be the 70th National Day of Prayer. We'll spend much of our program talking about that in the second hour. But in this first hour, we're going to talk with Paris Hawley, who is the Clark County Area Director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was a member of that organization at the University of Oregon. It was a tremendous blessing to me and a help in my walk of faith gave me opportunities to share my faith. Uh, We'll talk with Paris about what's happening right here in our local community in Clark County. And there are, of course, organizations in the Portland metro area as well. So that's coming up later this hour. So looking forward to that conversation. First, a look at some of the day's headlines. A slow demand for COVID-19 vaccination appears to have reached rather some uh, some of Oregon's largest clinics with numerous appointments available in the week ahead, including options for same-day shots or walk-in appointments. Well, each of the state's three major vaccination sites uh, on Wednesday had slots open for booking. Operators of the Oregon Convention Center showed availability nearly every 15 minutes for appointments on Thursday. Uh, the Oregon Fairgrounds in Salem had spots available every 15 minutes from 8 a.m. to 3.45 p.m. on Thursday. And the clinic at Portland International Airport this weekend will take people without appointments. Well, that seemingly a sudden ease of scheduling uh, these appointments come as Oregon, like the rest of the nation, sees a sharp drop in doses given. Oregon is averaging about 31,600 first or second shots a day. That's down 27 percent from the peak about three weeks ago. Well, state officials say that they've heard that appointments are available at just about every location offering doses of the coronavirus vaccine, not just the large clinics. But open appointments won't discourage the Oregon Health Authority from taking all the vaccine it can get for now, even if it leads to a growing stockpile. President Biden has said states that don't claim their full allotment from the federal government will see unordered doses redirected elsewhere, something Oregon doesn't want to um, to have to plan to let happen. A spokesperson for the agency said it plans to order its full share of doses next week. The Oregon Health Authority is now sending more vaccine to more distribution points and outpatient clinics across the state. So if you are looking for a vaccination, it's widely available and apparently at places where previously you had to have an appointment. Well, Oregon Health and Science University has found demand slowing so much that it decided to offer the vaccine to people without appointments. For a combined 11 hours on Saturday and Sunday, anybody eligible for the vaccine can drive up to the university clinic at the airport and get a shot. The goal of OHSU spokeswoman said is to increase access to the vaccine. We hope this event will reduce barriers to vaccination and help Oregonians who may find it difficult to make an appointment or commit to being vaccinated at a special day or time. Uh, The clinic was uh, prompted in part by an apparent drop off in demand. It's taking much longer for OHSU's available appointments to get filled uh, with the uh, weekend potentially being the first since the 
Airport Clinic opened in January to have slots that remain unscheduled. Well, at the moment, about 4,900 shots are available from Thursday to Monday. Uh, She says, well, the vaccination site at the Oregon Convention Center is also going to begin offering COVID vaccines to walk-ins. OHSU is, uh, as I mentioned, driving or rather offering drive-up vaccines without appointments as well. Well, starting Friday, the mass vaccination site at the Oregon Convention Center, they're going to start offering COVID-19 vaccinations to people who walk in without an appointment. That means all Oregonians 16 and older can now get a COVID-19 vaccine without scheduling an appointment. On Friday, the Oregon Convention offering vaccinations between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. It's going to be closed this weekend due to Mother's Day, but will uh, return to normal operating hours on Monday, May the 10th. Sunday, Tuesday, noon to 7, Wednesday through Thursday, 7 a.m. to 2, and Friday and Saturday closed this weekend. You can still sign up for an appointment at the Oregon Convention Center directly through the All for One website, and that's all the number four Oregon website. Uh, healthcare providers in charge of the site, they say scheduling an appointment online will save time when you arrive. If you would rather stay in your car, the OHSU mass vaccination site there at the Portland Airport is also offering drive-up vaccinations over the weekend. Meanwhile, a gun storage bill believed to be uh, among the strictest in the nation is headed to Oregon Governor Kate Brown's desk. In a final 17 to 7 vote from the Senate, Oregon lawmakers passed a new gun safety bill and makes several changes to state firearm statutes. Senate Bill 554 both requires strict firearm storage and declares the Oregon State Capitol building a designated gun-free zone. It allows school districts and public universities to prohibit firearms from campuses, even for those who have a concealed handgun license. Uh, The bill also requires that firearms be stored safely using a cable lock, a storage container or safe, or in a gun room, a container or lock must be used when transferring a firearm. Additionally, SB 554 has uh, new reporting requirements for gun owners if their firearm is lost or stolen, mandating that the police must be notified within the first 72 hours. The bill originated in the Senate, went to the House where lawmakers approved the bill but made some changes. The measure then returned to the Senate for a uh, concurrence vote to approve the modifications made in the House. The bill, as I mentioned, now goes to the desk of Governor Brown. Meanwhile, the fate of the four-year-old's rule, the Portland uh, Renter Relocation Rule, uh, once again has been thrown into question. It went before the, uh, it's going before the Oregon Supreme Court. Well, the city of Portland was back in court on Tuesday defending a four-year-old city rule that requires landlords pay renters moving fees if they significantly increase rent or issue an eviction notice without cause. Well, since the city council first passed the relocation ordinance in 2017, landlord groups, they've been pushing to overturn it. Within a week of its passage, two landlords sued the city, arguing that the ordinance violated a state law banning local rent control. Multnomah County Circuit Court dismissed that suit, and the Oregon Court of Appeals upheld the lower court ruling last July. Well, the landlord group's legal team is now asking the Oregon Supreme Court to invalidate the rule. Portland's relocation ordinance was one of the first major policy wins by former Commissioner Chloe Udaley, who championed it as a way to protect tenants from excessive rent hikes and unjust evictions in the midst of an affordable housing crisis. Well, the ordinance requires landlords who issue a rent increase of 10% or higher over a one-year period or issue a no-cause eviction to compensate renters. 
Fees range from $2,900 to $4,500, depending on the size of the home. Well, in a court hearing on Tuesday, attorneys John DeLorenzo, who brought the case on behalf of the landlord uh, trade group, More Housing Now, argued the city rule amounts to a form of rent control that's prohibited under state law. And while it's not the kind of official rent control policy seen in New York or San Francisco, DeLorenzo argued the rule uh, de-incentivizes rent increases and therefore is harassed. Uh, is um, barred rather by state statute. The big question is what um, uh, what falls within that scope, and we believe, he says, that ordinance uh, that controls the rents do. The Court of Appeals got hung up on the difference. Well, the Oregon Court of Appeals ruled last year that the ordinance wasn't a form of rent control as it did not put a hard cap on the amount a landlord could charge for rent. Well, that it may have uh, the effect on incentivizing landlords to keep rents in rent increases below the 10% threshold doesn't make the ordinance a rent control ordinance that is um, unambiguously preempted, the judge at that time wrote in uh, her opinion. Well, the relocation ordinance passed unanimously when the city council approved it in 2017. In a brief submitted to this, the uh, state Supreme Court, the landlord's attorneys referenced comments made in support of the ordinance by both Udaley and Mayor Ted Wheeler at the time. Well, according to the filing, Wheeler had called the ordinance a tool we have to keep rent levels stable. Judges uh, remarked on the comments during Tuesday's hearings. It doesn't seem unreasonable to me to say that it uh, that is indirectly the means of controlling the rent, Justice Thomas Balmer uh, said, and certainly the city council meeting suggests that the way they uh, that's the way they viewed it. Well, Deputy City Attorney Dennis Vanier, he argued that it does not matter what the council members said about the ordinance in the past. It's how the ordinance functions that is important. Well, Portland is a uh, home rule jur- uh, just jurisdiction, I should say, uh, meaning any rule that isn't explicitly banned by the state falls to the city to decide on. This means the city is free to craft rules influencing the rent, he continued, as long as those rules do not place a cap on the amount a landlord can charge a tenant. Uh, On its face, the ordinance uh, does not prevent the landlord from charging whatever amount they want in rent. The fate of the ordinance now lies in the Oregon Supreme Court, and it's not clear when the court might issue a ruling. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to continue to look at some of the day's headlines. And then we'll talk with Paris uh, Hawley. He is the Clark County Area Director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this 70th National Day of Prayer. Well, Caitlyn Jenner, formerly known as Bruce Jenner, told uh, Hannity that he's ready to replace Newsom as California's governor. Well, California gubernatorial candidate uh, Caitlyn Jenner sat down with Fox News' Sean Hannity on Wednesday regarding the bid to unseat Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom in the state's upcoming recall election. Jenner said it was not an easy decision to enter the race, but had always um, been a fighter and will take this uh, spirit into the campaign. I want to take that same fight, that same spirit uh, go to San, uh, to Sacramento, rather, surround myself with some of the smartest people out there. Jenner exclaimed, I am an outsider. I understand that because now I'm in a race for solutions. I need to find solutions to be able to turn this state around. I absolutely love this state. I'm a fighter, always have been, end quote. Well, Jenner called Newsom 
for hypocrisy on uh, his French laundry restaurant visit and for his failed policies. He's been so bad on every issue, Jenner said. He's been bad on taxes. He's been horrible on business, obviously. Companies are leaving left and right. 18,000 companies have left California. My friends are leaving the state. Well, he added, I don't want to leave either. Uh, Either I stay and fight or I get out. So Jenner is apparently in it to win it. In other developments, a court has upheld Newsom's use of emergency powers during the COVID-19 outbreak. And Caitlyn Jenner tells Hannity uh, that Bruce would not have been able to run for governor, Bruce Jenner. Uh, I had too many secrets. Uh, Jenner commits to standing with law enforcement in his exclusive interview um, with Hannity. The Biden administration's photos of an empty migrant facility are misleading, according to Texas Democrats. A Texas Democrat who has been critical of Biden, the Biden administration's policies at the U.S.-Mexico border lashed out this week, accusing the administration of posting misleading photos from a migrant processing facility. U.S. Representative Henry Kuehler accused the Department of Homeland Security of trying to create the impression the facility is in Donna, Texas, was emptying out when, in fact, the migrant youths who had been located there were simply moved to a nearby location. All they're doing is they're moving kids from one tent to the other uh, and saying, oh, there's not a border patrol. Um, they're not in border patrol custody, Kuehler said, according to the border report. Well, the youths were relocated to near to nearby tents operated by the Department of Health and Human Services, the congressman told the outlet, but they're right next door. Um, And he added that the uh, migrants, they're just uh, next door in the same custody. Well, following an inquiry from a border uh, report, DHS officials confirmed the youth were in HHS custody but would not disclose the location, the outlet reported. In other developments, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris has gone 43 days without a news conference since being tapped for her role in the border crisis. Arizona's Sanima says not enough It's being done by the federal government at the border. And a Border Patrol canine team found 67 pounds of meth at an immigration checkpoint. ICE deportations have fallen to under 3,000 in April amid the president's rule that uh, restricts removals. And Grassley is accusing the DHS of withholding information from the Judiciary Committee. According to Representative Kat Kamek, Facebook is under fire for encouraging the border crisis with ads for human smugglers and cartels. Meanwhile, Liz Cheney is facing GOP leadership removal. She's taken a swipe at the Trump cult, as she calls it. U.S. Representative Liz Cheney, a Republican out of Wyoming, wrote Wednesday that the Republican Party was at a turning point and must decide whether we will win Trump's um, a crusade to delegitimize and undo the legal outcome of the 2020 election with all the consequences that might uh, that might have. Cheney offered her commentary in an op-ed in the Washington Post. We Republicans need to stand for genuinely conservative principles and steer away from the dangerous and anti-democratic Trump cult of personality, she wrote. With her House leadership role as GOP conference chair in Jeopardy, Cheney writes that Trump's language about the 2020 election provoked violence on the 6th of January. Trump, who was banned from social Social media platforms this week recently launched his own method of communicating with his supporters. There he wrote, the fraudulent presidential election of 2020 will be from this day forth known as the big lie. In other developments, President Biden, when asked about Liz Cheney, says, I don't understand Republicans. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell is dodging questions about her. And Liz Cheney becomes uh, has become a lightning rod battling Trump over who's lying about 2020. Meanwhile, Elise Stefanik, who is the GOP conference chair favorite, voted with Trump 
fewer times than did Liz Cheney. So this cult of Trump, one has to define, I suppose. A Green Bay restaurant is offering Aaron Rodgers free burgers and beer for life if he stays. A New Jersey police officer says she was fired over a Facebook post calling Black Lives Matter protesters terrorists. And Biden's bizarre Amtrak story doesn't quite add up. But he's just Uncle Joe, so he'll get a pass. China's um, Tencent is uh, in talks with the U.S. to keep gaming investments. And U.S. solar jobs fell 7% in 2020 on pandemic efficiency gains. An investor group is in exclusive talks to acquire Forbes for $650 million. And Disney World will phase out on-site temperature screening of guests and employees this month. Well, the court has authorized the IRS to seek identities of taxpayers who have used cryptocurrency, apparently for the purposes of taxation. Meanwhile, the Biden administration supports suspending pa- patents on vaccines. From the story, the Biden administration came out on Wednesday in support of waiving intellectual property protections for coronavirus vaccines, siding with international efforts to bolster production with concerns about vaccine access in developing nations. David Harsinyi says waiving intellectual property rights uh, is flat out state sponsored theft. Senator John Cornyn says U.S. taxpayers uh, taxpayers helped fund the research into developing the mRNA vaccines, including the early R&D by Moderna. The waiver of IP protections would effectively be giving U.S. taxpayer-funded research to China and the DPRK. More from Harsinyi, Big Pharma says uh, more lives every year. Uh, than all government programs combined, setting aside COVID for a moment, their innovations have transformed numerous once deadly ailments into nothing but historical footnotes. They help millions of Americans who suffer from debilitating depression and pain uh, live more live bearable lives. Pharma does it for money, just like you do for what you do for money. Southwest Air booted a family because their child might struggle to wear a mask. Well, the three-year-old child, three years old, has a sensory issue, so the parents uh, cleared it with the airline ahead of time. The pilot, however, had the family removed, even though the child was wearing the mask, without a problem. A poll, plurality of Georgia voters support the new election law. Also from the poll, voters oppose companies using their public role, position, or events to influence political, cultural, or social change by a whopping 60 to 33%. Well, the birth rate has dropped for the sixth straight year. Remember when the pandemic started and people wondered if they would lead, if that would lead rather to a baby boom? Well, just the opposite. From the Wall Street Journal, the total family rate or the average number of times a woman will give birth in her lifetime declined to a record low of 1,637.5 births per 1,000 women. That's much lower than the population replacement rate, which is 2,100 births, according to the Wall Street Journal. And Facebook deems itself justified in banning Donald Trump from the story. A Facebook-appointed panel of journalists, activists, and lawyers on Wednesday upheld the social network's ban of former President Donald Trump, ending any immediate return by Donald Trump uh, to mainstream social media and renewing a debate about tech power over online speech. Of course, part of the concern is uh, whether or not he would intend to run for office again. The Wall Street Journal points out Mr. Zuckerberg created Facebook's oversight board, composed of 20 academics, lawyers, NGO leaders, and others, to take political heat off the management 
for content moderation. Progressives are furious that the social media giant offers a forum for conservative speech and have demanded that it censor a range of First Amendment expression. The target started with the outlier content uh, like Holocaust denial, but a uh, predictably widened to include political debate on issues like climate change and COVID-19. Mr. Zuckerberg has sometimes resisted this pr- uh, pressure, but more often bucked under assault from foundations, corporations, employees, and politicians. Well, as the border crisis increases, more illegal aliens are slipping past Border Patrol, 42,000 in April alone. Vice President Harris now admits it's alarming, but still won't call it a crisis. CDC chief says the unvaccinated kids at camp must wear masks. The others do not need to wear them when outdoors. But of course, there is no vaccine for kids. They're not yet available. An airport security app is being used as vaccine passport elsewhere, and businesses are using the app to keep non-compliant people out. The story downplays any uh, natural concerns one might have. And a four-year-old accidentally buys nearly $3,000 worth of SpongeBob popsicles on Amazon. In fact, a GoFundMe page was set up to help pay for it all. Some 916 popsicles. The GoFundMe page has easily passed the cost of the popsicles and now has enough to cover a freezer to hold them. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. When we return, we'll talk with Paris Shiwi. He's the uh, uh, area director from Clark County of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to talk with Paris Shuey. He is the Clackam, rather the Clark County Area Director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He and I have been attempting to connect with one another for quite some time, and I'm so delighted that today we're going to talk about what's happening in Clark County and about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in general. I should mention that when I was at the University of Oregon, I was first introduced to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and as a member of the women's track team, uh, was very involved in uh, in that ministry, and it made a significant impact on my life, connecting um, my athletic endeavors with um, my spiritual life, and I'm just so thrilled to talk about mm-hmm. Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in our local community uh, with uh, with Paris. Now, Paris is a former professional athlete. He understands what it's like to compete at a high level. He met Jesus in college. He began putting faith and baseball together. After college, he married his wife, Alexa. They now have two sons. Uh, his dream is to equip student athletes with an identity that is grounded in whose they are, not what they do. And Paris, I want to welcome you. I'm just delighted to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Georgine. It's been a, a long time coming. I'm excited we're, we're making it happen. Absolutely. Well, let's begin by talking about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, because some of our listeners may not be familiar with this uh, this ministry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll take it from the top. So in 1954, uh, God put a dream in the heart of a man named Don McClannan. Uh, you know, he saw that professional athletes were being used to market cigarettes and, and other, uh, you know, not necessarily healthy things. And he thought, man, if, if uh, athletes can be used to, to promote cigarettes and these sort of things, they can be used to promote the gospel as well. And so that's how the Fellowship of Christian Athletes started. Um, you know, there was a, a camp that happened in uh, Estes Park, Colorado, that kind of launched what, what the ministry looks like today. And so here we are, like, 65-plus years later, um, utilizing the influence that coaches and athletes have uh, on their teams and in their schools and in their communities. And, I, you know, I'd say the world at large uh, now. 
uh, utilizing that influence to uh, show the world a different way. And so we, uh, we exist to, to in that space, that collision between faith and sports. Uh, you know, I think sports is a, uh, a universal language around the world. You roll a ball into any field anywhere across the world, and you're going to get kids that run up. You're going to get people that, that are going to want to watch. And so how do we use that platform to promote the gospel and, and teach people identity and, and uh, a life of peace and of joy? Uh, that's what we're all about. Yeah. Now, did you connect with Fellowship of Christian Athletes as a professional athlete? No, actually, uh, so my FCA story, it's kind of funny. I, so at Washington State, I played baseball at WSU, and uh, I had two teammates that, that lived different lives. And, uh, and, you know, it wasn't like they were preaching the gospel in the locker room or anything. They just lived differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, I, when I was ready, when I had my crash and burn moment and like, oh, I'm not all that in the bag of potato chips, and I don't know what I need to do. Um, I asked them what was different about them, and they shared the gospel with me and, and then got me plugged into Athletes in Action, mm-hmm. which is a, a ministry, a, a part of Campus Crusade for Christ or crew. Uh, and so that was my sports and faith intro. And then actually when I graduated college and I got done with my professional career, with the, the Houston Astros organization, um, my high school baseball coach actually asked me if I wanted to come back and help him coach a 15-year-old baseball, like summer baseball team. Uh, so I said yes, and that was actually an FCA baseball team up in the Seattle area. And so that was my first intro to FCA, and I thought that FCA just had uh, sports teams and was like a kind of like a nationwide faith-based club athletics thing, like basketball, volleyball, baseball stuff. Uh, it wasn't until I moved down to, to the Portland area and then got planted in Vancouver that I realized FCA is actually a ministry that uh, is really more so focused at the middle school and high school at age levels. And, uh, and it's not just uh, sports teams, but it's Bible studies and leadership development and coaches ministry and coach and spouse ministry um, and then, oh, yeah, we do have some sports teams that kind of further that uh, influence in a more direct and uh, ongoing basis. But that, that's, how, that's how I came to, to hear about FCA. Well, I know FCA's um, primary focus is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influences of coaches and athletes. And it's, it's amazing how much influence coaches and athletes have, not only within their own circles, but outside of their circles um, as well. Yeah. Now, talk a little bit about the program in Clark County, uh, because as you pointed out, you're working in um, middle schools and high schools in this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So, uh, you know, the, so our mission is to lead every coach and athlete into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. And, and so to fulfill the vision to see the world transformed by Jesus, through, these influence, through the, the coach and athlete influence, uh, we do that by engaging coaches and athletes, and, and I would go so far as to say parents and even champions of schools or programs, uh, you know, those really empowered volunteers that want to bring the Gatorade to practice or they run the booster club or they just they, they run the scoreboard or they're the announcer. You know, we, we engage these individuals relationally. We equip them spiritually, and then we empower them to lead others through that same engage, equip, and empower uh, circle. And so that's, what, that's really how we, how we do what we do. Um, 
So in Clark County specifically, I mean, so I'm a I'm an assistant baseball coach at Kingsway Christian. Uh, we've had a few coaches huddles happen, um, you know, with the schools like Hawkinson, Prairie, Mountain View, Camas, um, Skyview, and uh, and so what we do is we we engage these coaches relationally. We equip them spiritually through these huddles, uh, utilizing different tools like uh, a discovery Bible study or uh, one of our favorites, uh, you know, is uh, three-dimensional coaching. Um, that's a, a resource that uh, is a different entity. than It's not an FCA-created uh, resource, but we use these tools to engage and, and equip them, these coaches, spiritually. And then we really uh, work at the who. Who do these coaches know? Who are their student-athletes that uh, get leadership, they get Jesus and and they want to take their influence to the next level and they want to lead their peers and from the from those conversations that's how our our huddles is what we call all of our Bible studies that's how our huddles for the the athletes sprout up so um, you know we have a, a really thriving huddle at Kingsway Christian we've got six or seven student athletes that uh, you know they 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 take the bull by the horns and they're the ones leading their peers through. Uh, a Bible study every week on campus. Uh, you know, this year has been a little different because uh, school's been shut down for the majority. So we've taken it into homes. We're empowering families now to really own as, as far as they're comfortable, uh, own uh, opening their homes up and, and seeing their sons or daughters lead their peers in a Bible study, seeing their sons or daughters impact, you know, their club sports team or their school sports team. So, I would say schools like Hawkinson, like Prairie High School, um, you know, we've gotten some, some cool stuff happening up in Ridgefield now. Uh, there's a lot of traction, uh, even, even in a, a pandemic world, where uh, com- gospel conversations are happening uh, centered around sports, but, but really getting to the identity. And, you know, it's tough when, when all of we put so much emphasis on sports and when it gets taken away for a year, you kind of mm-hmm. ask the question like, okay, now who, who actually am I? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and these, you know, these couple of schools, these few individuals that, I, that I've mentioned, like they're, uh, I'm really proud of them. They're, they're taking, they're taking ownership of their faith. They're saying, wow, sports can get taken away in a heartbeat. Who am I when, when the lights go out? And I should probably figure that out before any more time passes. Yeah, that's, that really is incredible. Especially when you think about, uh, you're talking about young people and to have that kind of leadership uh, and willingness to share their faith with their peers is pretty remarkable. Now, I need to take a quick break, but I'd yeah. love to continue this conversation, so stay with us. We're talking with Paris. Now, did I, did I get this right? Is it Shoei or Shoei? Shoei. Chewy. Okay, I'm going to get this right. Uh, anyway, he's the uh, Clark County Area Director for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, talking with Paris Chewy, <laughs> the Clark County Area Director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, where they're doing some pretty significant work in local schools uh, with huddles and uh, various activities. I mentioned in the previous segment that I connected with Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the University of Oregon. You know, when you're um, a high-level athlete and so much emphasis is placed on your physical strength and your ability and you're competing with others, lost in all of that is the the idea that 
um, you know, that you're anything other than that. You're physically strong and, you know, people come to watch you compete and there are crowds cheering and so on. Fellowship of Christian Athletes helps to put into perspective, at least for me, um, the, the bigger picture. And I can remember attending huddles and, you know, we designed our own T-shirts for the track meets and uh, that, that reflected our faith. And just what a tremendous balance that was during the, the season of competition at the University of Oregon. And by the way, I won't hold your Washington schooling against you. We'll just uh, set that aside. Um, Paris, well, here, I was going to ask. Go ahead. Well, we have we have a common enemy, and that's the UW Huskies, so at least we get that right. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> we'll stand unified on that. I was going to ask right. you about how the uh, pandemic impacted the work of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and you made mention that there are some student leaders who have continued yeah. to do their work. How do you see this working in the days ahead when it appears that schools are going to be once again returning a, a bit more to normalcy? Yeah, yeah, great question, Georgine. I think... I'm so proud of our organization uh, as a whole. You know, it was, I think, we, we found out the world was shutting down on like a Monday or a Tuesday, and by Thursday, we we had, as a, as a whole, FCA as a whole, had developed a, a completely uh, virtual FCA, you know, I think it was hashtag FCA virtual, with uh, YouTube videos that featured professional coaches and college coaches and professional and collegiate athletes um, and then, and then, tons of resources for us field staff, <clears throat> excuse me, to use uh, to impact our students from a virtual perspective with uh, Instagram and Facebook stuff. So that that was a huge. I, I feel very blessed, and I'm so proud of our team that uh, that we were able to do such a such a quick pivot uh, mm-hmm. in that time. You know, over a year ago, and, and looking to the future. You know, I think most of us here in the Pacific Northwest, at least, we see school returning to normal, somewhat normal, five days a week, masks, social distance, whatever it might be. Uh, but even if that is true, uh, we, we also don't see schools allowing anyone outside of the school back on campus. Uh, so, you know, our ministry thrives on, on public school campuses. We, the reason we can exist in those spaces is because we – we start student-led clubs. So just like a, a chess club or a math club or a video game club, you know, FCA can, can, creates clubs, and we provide student-athletes with all the resources that they need to uh, get a, a, a school-sanctioned club started. But all that said, if, if we're not able to be on campus, you know, what does the ministry look like? And And kind of where we've where we've had some initial conversations uh, at is, is really exciting for me anyways. And, and it's that idea of, and you men, made mention of it with your uh, University of Oregon track team is this idea of what we call team huddles. So sports are going to happen in their normal seasons, uh, please Lord. And hmm. if that is the case, and we have these student athletes that want to take their influence to the next level, they want to be examples on campus. They want to lead their peers to Christ and, and disciple them well, what a better way to do that than like after a practice or after a game, you know, it might be a prayer before or after a game. It might be like, let's do a, a Bible study after practice on a Tuesday. Um, that's really kind of what we're, we're honing in on is the, the on-campus huddle for all the athletes uh, and students, that's probably not going to happen uh, or they're not going to let us get that many kids together at all. 
So how, what does it look like to, to still empower these kids to go make disciples on their, on their individual teams where they're competing every day together, they're going through the grind together, everyone's on the same page, there's more relationship there because you're on the same team and you're going through the same uh, season. We're, we're going to look at uh, really empowering these kids and even the coaches to create that space on their teams specifically. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, we don't know yeah. what the future is going to look like exactly, but I appreciate the flexibility and the the um, ability to adapt to the new normal yeah. uh, that the Fellowship of uh, Christian Athletes has already, uh, FCA has already demonstrated. I know as you were talking about um, student athletes uh, gathering in their own homes and uh, leading Bible studies, I- I'm certain that there are parents, grandparents, or others who are concerned about young people who would love to come alongside this kind of ministry and support the work, either by having their student athlete involved, hosting events, and so on. How can our listeners who are inspired and encouraged by these um, these athletes support the work? And I know you're in Clark County, but I imagine this would apply in other counties as well. Yes, Absolutely. You know, I'll say this, we, we have a, uh, there's a, a group of pastors that meet every Thursday morning to pray. One of our, one of the, the pastors made mention this morning that uh, whoever wants this next generation the most is going to get them. Uh, mm. And that really, uh, I mean, I get goosebumps still uh, saying that, you know, all the, these hours later, it's just, uh, there really is a battle for their hearts and their minds. And yes. I think that we as the church as a whole, uh, the fight is. For their attention, the fight is for their hearts. They're going to be our next leaders. And so really, um, we need everyone, all, all hands on deck. And so if you go to pdxfca.org, um, that, is, that is our greater Portland area chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's our website. Uh, you'll see all of the different areas that fall into the greater Portland area. Um, you'll see all of our staff members. I believe there's 17 or 18 of us now on staff from Longview uh, down to that Wilsonville Canby area and then from Hillsboro to Gresham. We kind of cover that whole uh, five counties, five, six counties. Um, you'll be able to get in touch with any of your specific area director or area representative if you go to pdxfca.org uh, and then go to staff. And on that website as well, you'll be able to see any of the upcoming events. Uh, we have a, a few local camps that are happening uh, in the different areas. We, we have a, a, a bigger area camp called the Captain's Camp that we're doing at the end of June. Um, and then there's also coaches ministry stuff that we're, uh, we're involved with as well. So you can uh, get involved financially. You can get involved through prayer. You can get involved by volunteering. Uh, again, whoever wants this generation the most is going to get them, and and so we're we're we need everyone to get in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, student athletes are so often influencers and leaders on their campuses. It's a great way yeah. to have a broader influence uh, within the middle school or high school, or in my experience in at the university level. I'm so appreciative of the creativity and the availability of this ministry to young people um, on these campuses. How can we pray for you and this ministry in the days ahead? Again, there's so much uncertainty about how uh, COVID-19 is going to impact the way students are allowed to relate to one another and who else is invited on campus. How can we pray for you? Right. That's such a good question, Georgie. And I appreciate your questions and this opportunity a ton. It, It means a lot. 
uh, yeah, it just means it just means a lot. So thank you. Uh, you know, Luke ten two says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers. Uh, and I think that that is the that is the prayer for the hour. I think all of us can can see that uh, that there is a very ready harvest. Uh, people are on the edge uh, in so many different areas, whether whether that's anxiety or depression or uh, just missing people and missing connection. There's just such an opportunity for the gospel to be made known and lived out uh, in our lives. And so, especially in the sports culture where, you know, we actually haven't had a ton of athletic competition recently. I mean, this, this past, you know, mm-hmm. spring, all the sports got, got kicked back up again, but it had been over a year, right, for these kids and these families and coaches. So uh, there's such an opportunity for sports to, you know, the relationships are already queued up. So I just pray, uh, agree with me, agree with our Portland, um, greater Portland team to send workers into the harvest because it is, it is plentiful. Well, and I, I just want to encourage you and your, your colleagues to continue to do this important work. I appreciate your willingness to do it, the sacrifices I know that you and your families have made in order for these young people to be exposed to the gospel, to train and equip them to be leaders among their peers. This is an important ministry. And again, I just want to encourage you and commend you and uh, your your colleagues for the work. Well, Paris, this is the first conversation you and I are going to have. I'd love to uh, continue as in the days ahead to keep us updated on the challenges that you're facing so that we're aware of uh, what FCA is doing in our community. Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Paris Shuey, thanks for joining us. You bet. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break for news and traffic. And when we return, we're going to talk about the fact that today is the 70th National Day of Prayer. All of us are called to bend the knee and to look up. That's coming up on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. On this day in history, 1889, the Paris Exposition formally opens, featuring the just completed Eiffel Tower. On this day in history, 1937, the hydrogen filled German airship Hindenburg catches fire and crashes while attempting to dock in Lakehurst, New Jersey. 35 of the 97 people on board are killed, along with a crewman. On the ground. 1994, former Arkansas uh, state worker Paula Jones filed suit against President Bill Clinton, alleging he'd harassed, sexually harassed her in 1991. 2014, the Vatican discloses, discloses rather, that over the past decade, it defrocked 848 priests who molested children and sanctioned another 2,572 with lesser penalties. And it was back in the 1950s that the National Day of Prayer was established here in the United States. Well, today, of course, is the National Day of Prayer. You might recall last year, the annual National Day of Prayer was marked by the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic. Across the country, many turned to prayer out of fear, others out of habit. Some prayed at uh, last as a last resort. Well, amid the panic, prayer brought peace to many of our friends and neighbors. And as our nation emerges from the other side of the pandemic, if you can characterize it that way, we certainly have much to be grateful for. However, deep political divisions, threats around the world, the persistent threat of religious freedom remind us that the urgent need for prayer remains and it will always stand in place until Jesus returns and we are transported to our 
final destination. Well, the legacy of America's National Day of Prayer reminds us of the importance of the freedom to practice our faith in the public square. This year's theme asks that the Lord would pour out life, love, and liberty on our nation. As we come together to pray for these and other blessings, let's pray specifically for a culture that values and respects religious freedom at home and across the globe. Calls for the nation to come together in prayer has deep roots in American history. Informally practiced by the majority of our nation's leaders, the National Day of Prayer was officially established as an annual event on the first Thursday of May back in 1952 after evangelist Billy Graham, he urged Congress to pass legislation that formalized it. Since then, every president has recognized the day. There was a presidential proclamation issued by President Joe Biden. We'll share with that with you later in the program as well. President Ronald Reagan said the National Day of Prayer, this occasion provides our nation with an opportunity to further recognize the source of our blessings and to seek his help for the challenges we face today and in the future. Well, for believers, of course, prayer offers an opportunity to bring our needs directly to God. And what a an honor and privilege it is to respond to the invitation he extends to us, not based on our worthiness, but based on the righteousness of his son to come into his presence before the throne of grace, the creator, the savior, and sustainer of the world. Well, the discipline of prayer is uh, rooted in the belief that God hears our prayers and desires for us to bring to him our causes, our cares, and our concerns. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. And yet, he still wants to talk with us through prayer. It's a central feature of the relationship he calls us to. Well, as our nation grapples with the divisions and uh, navigates various challenges, the National Day of Prayer is an opportunity to pursue unity. It calls all of us on a single day to have a single focus. President Abraham Lincoln, who oversaw the national, uh, the nation rather, in its most divided and turbulent state, believed that despite everything that was going on, despite challenging circumstances, Americans should remember God and our shared values. He reminded Americans that we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by our some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Now, we can argue that the United States is extraordinary and exceptional, but we would be foolhardy if we imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. As we express gratitude for our blessings and pray for our nation, we ought also to pray for those around the world longing for the freedoms that we enjoy, especially religious freedom. Scripture exhorts us to remember and pray for those being persecuted for their faith in Christ, and there are so many. For example, the Apostle Paul asked for prayer while confined in prison himself. Similarly, the writer of the Hebrews encouraged his readers to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. You can find those scriptures in Ephesians 6 and Hebrews 13. United by our common faith in Christ, our brothers and sisters suffering persecution around the world ought to be regularly in our prayers. 
Now, those facing persecution abroad have often found hope in the knowledge that they are being lifted up in prayer. When Pastor Andrew Brunson was held captive in a Turkish prison for his faith, he found deep encouragement knowing that people were praying for him. And in his darkest moments, he valued the prayers of those around the world. I mentioned that I met Baron L. Stutzman just this weekend. And when I told her that KPDQ listeners were following her story, that we had been praying for her, she was so encouraged and I think a little surprised to know that people were still concerned about what is still an unresolved case of her religious freedom. Remembering and praying for the persecuted church, whether that's here at home, individuals or abroad, it's an important way to love our neighbor, which we are called to in the 12th chapter of Mark. In today's challenging times, there's much that warrants prayer. The National Day of Prayer uh, is worth remembering um, and the ways that we pray focused on the needs of our nation. Pray for God's blessing on the United States. Specifically, pray that our society, our culture, and politics would honor God. That would be a miraculous move of God, but he can change the heart of a king and the the course of a mighty river. Pray for revival and the spread of the gospel. Pray America would um, would unite around our shared values and reject the voices sowing division and discord. And of course, all of these begin with us. Pray for perseverance and protection for Christians around the world. Unfortunately, religious freedom is not the norm around the world. And there are some challenges, challenges even in this country that would diminish our ability to express our faith in the public square. Pray that governments and those in authority see the value in protecting religious freedom and conscience rights. Pray for wisdom and discernment for those in authority, including government and church leaders. First Timothy, the second chapter, tells us that we are called to do just that. Much of the recent political discourse has been focused on unity, yet true unity isn't found in politics. Unity is found in Christ. By joining together to pray for our nation and our neighbors at home and abroad, we can find hope, peace, and unity. It's not just a date on a calendar. It's not just an occasion where, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's come around again. It's an opportunity for us to agree in prayer and ask the living God to intervene into the affairs of men, primarily in this country, but abroad as well. This year marks the 70th National Day of Prayer. It is our day. Uh, it belongs to all Americans. It's a day that transcends differences. It brings together citizens from all backgrounds. Shirley Dobson, who is the National uh, Chairman Emeritus, reminds us that we have lost many of our freedoms, freedoms in America because we have been asleep. I feel if we do not become involved and support the annual National Day of Prayer, we could end up forfeiting this freedom, too. And, of course, this is one day that marks a unified effort to pray for our nation. But it should mark the life of the believer, where we pray without ceasing. And God, again, invites us into his presence to do just that, invites us into relationship for that purpose. In 1775, the First Continental Congress called for a National Day of Prayer. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln called for such a day. In 1952, Congress established the National Day of Prayer as an annual event by a joint resolution signed into law by President Truman. The vote, 84 to 324. In 1988, the law was amended and signed by President Ronald Reagan, designating the National Day of Prayer as the first Thursday in May. The vote, 100 to 307. Some fun facts about the National Day of Prayer. There have been 146 national calls to prayer, humiliation, fasting, and thanksgiving by the President of the the United States from 1789 to 2017. There have been 69 presidential proclamations for a National Day of Prayer. That number is 70 now that 
Uh, President Biden has done the same. Barack Obama in 2012, Donald Trump in 2017 are the only U.S. presidents to sign multiple National Day of Prayer proclamations in the same year. Every president since 1952 has signed a National Day of Prayer proclamation, including our current president. 35 of the 45 U.S. presidents have signed proclamations for the National Day of Prayer. Three of the presidents who did not sign a proclamation died while serving in office. Two presidents not included in that count, William Howard Taft and Warren um, Harding signed proclamations for Thanksgiving and prayer. Records indicate there's been 1,526 state and federal calls for national prayer since 70, 1775 and counting. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this 70th National Day of Prayer. Now, later this evening, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time, you'll have an opportunity to participate in the national event, uh, the national broadcast of the 70th Annual National Day of Prayer. That will be live streamed at the website nationaldayofprayer.org. Andrew Palau will be one of the hosts of that event tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. And that will sort of be the culmination of events all across the nation in which people have lifted their voices in prayer and thanksgiving to the God of the universe. So I hope you will uh, take advantage of the opportunity to participate. A proclamation signed by a president. We've come to expect that, and that uh, this president is no exception. A proclamation on the National Day of Prayer was issued by President uh, Biden earlier today, and it reads as follows. Throughout our history, Americans of many religions and belief systems have turned to prayer for strength, hope, and guidance. Prayer has nourished countless souls and powered moral movements, including essential fights against racial injustice, child labor, and infringements on the rights of disabled Americans. Prayer is also a daily practice for many, whether it is to ask for help or strength or to give thanks over blessings bestowed. The First Amendment to our Constitution protects the right of free speech and religious liberty, including the rights of all Americans to pray. These freedoms have helped us to create and sustain a nation of remarkable religious vitality and diversity across the generations. Today, we remember and celebrate the role of the healing balm of prayer, uh, the the role that the healing balm of prayer can play in our lives and in the life of our nation as we continue to confront the crisis and challenges of uh, our time from a deadly pandemic to the loss of lives and livelihoods in its wake to the reckoning on racial justice to the existential threat of climate change, Americans of faith can call upon the power of prayer to provide hope and uplift us for the work ahead. As the late Congressman John Lewis once said, nothing can stop the power of a committed and determined people to make a difference in our society. Why? Because human beings are the most dynamic link to the divine on this planet. On this National Day of Prayer, we, reni- we re- unite rather with purpose and resolve and recommit ourselves to the core freedoms that help define and guide our nation from its earliest days. We celebrate our incredible good fortune that, as Americans, we have exer- exercised our convictions freely, uh, no matter our faith or belief. Let us find in our prayer, however, uh, that they are delivered 
the determination to overcome adversity, rise above our differences, and come together as one nation to meet this moment in history. The Congress, by Public Law 100-307, as amended, has called on the President to issue each year a proclamation designating the first Thursday in May as the National Day of Prayer. Now, therefore, I, Joseph R. Biden, Jr., President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim May 6, 2021, as the National Day of Prayer. I invite the citizens of our nation to give thanks in accordance with their own faith and conscience for our many freedoms and blessings. And I join all people of faith in prayers for spiritual guidance, mercy, and protection. In witness thereof, I have hereto, hereunto set my hand this fifth day of May in the year of our Lord 2021 and of the independence of the United States of America, the 245th. So that's the proclamation from President Biden on this National Day of Prayer. Now, whether or not you like who is sitting in the the White House, if it's a Democrat or a Republican, if you agree with their policies or disagree with their policies, it is a remarkable thing for the most powerful leader on the planet, for a sitting president of the United States, whether or not they fully embrace the focus of the National Day of Prayer to issue a proclamation endorsing and calling upon the the citizens of the nation Uh, to humble themselves in prayer. It is a remarkable thing. And I hope that all of us recognizing when we come before a holy God, there is a level playing field in terms of our worthiness, that we find that our prayers are most fervent for those with whom we most strongly disagree. I find that when I invest in praying for those with whom I most firmly disagree, that investment produces something in me that um, lessens my um, distaste, perhaps, (laughs) for that individual trying to put it to put it in a uh, acceptable way that God does something in my heart. First of all, reminding me uh, that I have not earned my place in his presence. I haven't earned his favor, that my views uh, on a variety of issues um, uh, are not necessarily endorsed by him, although I try to think biblically and consistently. Uh, but it, it helps me to remember that we are all sinners. And those of us who have named the name of Christ were saved by grace. And I ask that God would penetrate the uh, pride that all of us have to convey his truth in a way that would compel us to move forward uh, in what we know to be right. So that's um, that's what I, I hope all of us will do on this National Day of Prayer. Lord, we look up and we see the billions of stars you created, and we praise you. We look around and see the billions of people you created in your image uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully, and we thank you. Wrap us in your spirit and unite us in your family, O Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In your love for the whole world, you sent your son to save us. Jesus, in you alone, we have abundant and everlasting life. Thank you for teaching and leading us to love and live fruitful and faithful. In your life, your death, your resurrection, and your ascension, you are our Lord, our love, our life, and our liberty. You came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. You have freed us from the penalty and shame of our sin, free to live life as you designed and your destiny for our nation. Spirit, search us and convict us as we repent for our sin and the sins of America. Please cleanse, fill, and send us We rejoice knowing that your forgiveness makes us acceptable and effective vessels of your love, life, and liberty in our family, church, 
education, workplace, military, government, art, entertainment, and media. We pray that America will be united in love to serve you with all our hearts, all our ways, and all of our days. Unite us to pray, to love, to live, and to walk by the Spirit. Conform and transform us as we pray and proclaim, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above every other name. Amen. What a privilege to come before a holy God and utter those words and know that he hears us. So why do we pray? We know that God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. He sees everything. So why bother? One answer, of course, is the relationship that that conversation, that proximity where we are uh, in relationship with him and we're communicating with one another, listening and speaking. That's the relationship that he longs for. Um, Giving ourselves to prayer is what we're called to. Gary Meadows observed that dialogue with the Almighty is part of the fabric of the Bible. Genesis 4.26 first mentions that men began to call on the name of the Lord, and Revelations 22.20 closes the Bible with a prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. The entire history of redemption is framed in prayer. And in between these terminal references, we find a database about prayer that is so large it requires description beyond simple definition. In fact, the Bible cites more than 355 occurrences of prayer. So why do we pray? Well, a few reasons uh, that are key. We love him just as a man and woman in love desire to be together and communicate. So we, if we love God, will desire to be with him and to fellowship with him in proportion to our love for him. So one of the reasons that we pray is he has invited us. He first loved us. and We come into his presence for that fellowship. We depend on God. He is our source. He is our life. Colossians 3, 4 says, through prayer, we receive the comfort, strength, and all the other resources that we need in life, both naturally and spiritually. Prayer, a relationship with God, is as necessary to the spiritual life as the air is to our natural life. We thrive on being in his presence. Prayer allows us to resist temptation. You recall in Matthew that Jesus warned his disciples to watch and pray lest we enter into temptation. Living a life without prayer can leave us weak and exposed It can give us opportunity for an enemy to gain ground and potentially lure us into sin. Prayer allows us to resist temptation. And prayer is necessary for people to invite God to act in salvation. God gave the earth to Adam and his descendants, so we must invite God to work here. If no one invites him to work on earth, Earth, Satan, the God of this age, as the scripture defines him, because of the uh, because of humanity's universal rebellion, will dominate human affairs. And eventually the judgment of God will come by inviting God to intercede and to do so often. Specifically, um, uh, specifically, multitudes can be saved who would otherwise be lost. God commands us to pray. There's much that could be said on that subject. In Colossians 4, 2, Paul writes, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Jesus also encouraged his followers to pray. Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That's Luke 18. Well, the need to pray is as great as the authority of God who commands us to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5. Prayer is so vital to all that God wants to do on the earth, and it is so essential to us that he commands us to do it all the time. 
You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to be with your Bible in front of you. You can be behind the wheel. You can be changing diapers. You can be eating your lunch. You can be walking along the way. Whatever you're doing, we are to pray without ceasing because we have an open, ongoing invitation into his presence. And again, I marvel at that, knowing who I am and what I am and my propensity to stumble I just, I marvel at that. Prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. It's hushed anarchy to rest. It's extinguished wars. It's appeased the elements, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases. It's dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. In this communion with God, there is an all-sufficient panoply, if I could use the word, a treasure undiminished, a mind uh, that is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the foundation, the mother of a thousand blessings. And again, much more could be said, but not said as well as, um, uh, as some on the subject. Well, the question is, you know, we should pray, but what's the purpose? Does it work, if you will? We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll answer that question. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this 70th National Day of Prayer. So what's the purpose of praying? Certainly we're in relationship, but making petitions and asking God to intervene, does prayer work? Well, prayer is making a difference. It's transforming the landscape of homes and communities all across the globe. In 1999, heritage builders conducted an unofficial study of the American family to determine the factors you know, that increased overall family health. What they discovered was truly incredible. A summary of their findings indicated that families who, well, ate together at least four days a week and prayed at the dinner table showed the highest percentage of honor roll students the fellowship and church-attending teenagers be between the ages of 15 and 19. A Lifeway research survey estimates that 70% of Christian teens and young adults will walk away from the church during college. But families that prayed together were among the 30% whose teenagers were more grounded in their faith. In the Lifeway survey, participants indicated that prayer was not just a part of the religious practice. Um, Rather, it was a concerted effort of parents making sure that prayers were emphasized in daily living, not simply as a response to life life's trials and tribulations. Even secular universities agree that prayer makes a difference in relationships. You may have heard that the saying that a couple that prays together stays together. Well, although uh, we know this uh, to be true, it's helpful to examine the evidence that best supports this common perception. An article published in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology had this to say about prayer. There is some evidence that religiosity is similarly related to several positive relationship outcomes. Specifically, greater involvement in religious activities, including prayer, is related to higher levels of marital satisfaction and marital stability with three longitudinal studies indicating that religiousness predicts lower risks of divorce and divorce proneness. The report goes on to cite that prayer may uh, help couples more uh, to more often think of the needs of others, be more loving and forgiving, treat each other with respect and resolve conflict. The researchers suggested that the relationship people experience with God through prayer helps them handle their emotions, be more emphatic, become less self-focused, and gain greater skills in reconciliation. They also note that prayer for the partner might uh, prime partners to think about each other in more loving and compassionate terms, and so treat each other with greater respect and sensitivity. 
regular praying rather regularly together also helped couples prevent conflict in their relationship. Now that's all well and good. We know that we are commanded to pray and we shouldn't be surprised that when we do so, it actually reflects back into our relationship in our households and in our communities. But the question is whether or not God hears our prayers and answers them. Well, his word says uh, that first of all, that he invites us to make our petitions known in Philippians and that he will give us a peace in the midst of it all that, um, Uh, that defies our own understanding. Yes, God answers prayer, but we also serve a sovereign God, and he answers prayers in his timing, in his way, and sometimes the answer is no. When we submit to him, we know that um, God is going to act in our best interest, and um, we wait on him to do just that, to act in ways that um, honor him and are a blessing to us, perhaps ways that we don't fully understand. Well, I want to talk a bit about ways to pray for people in authority, because the National Day of Prayer, the primary focus is on those who are in authority, but it's also for our households, for our communities, for our churches, um, for those who are in positions of authority, uh, for those who are poor among us, for those who are sick, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Well, scriptures instruct us to pray for all in authority among uh, those other things, but how do we do that exactly? Well, here's some ways that you might consider on this National Day of Prayer, that they be good, God-fearing people and recognize that they are accountable to him for each decision and act. Proverbs 9.10, that they be granted wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. James 1.5, that they be presented with the uh, gospel and a loving Christian witness. Romans 10.14, and I would add to that, Lord, if you would use me to be that loving Christian witness, please order my steps in that way. Some of you have direct access, and I would encourage you to follow God's lead. That if unsaved, that they are drawn to a saving encounter with Christ. If born again, that they would be strengthened and encouraged in their faith. 1 Timothy 2.4 and Ephesians 1.17. That they recognize their own inadequacy and pray and seek the will of God. Proverbs 3. 5 through 8, Luke 119, verse 13. That they be convicted of sin, transgression, and iniquity, Psalm 51 and John 8, 9. That they heed their conscience, confess their sins, and repent, Proverbs 28. That they read the Bible and attend prayer meetings and Bible studies, Psalm 119, 11, Colossians 3, 2. That they value and regard the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Christ. Psalm 19.7, John 8.31. That they respect and honor their own parents, if living. That they respect authority and practice accountability. That they be given godly um, counsel and God-fearing advisors, Proverbs 24.6. That they be honest and faithful to spouses and children. Malachi 2:15 through 16. Again, we're talking about ways to pray for people in authority. That they be practicing members of local congregations, Hebrews uh, 14, or rather 10:25. That they desire purity and avoid debauchery, pornography, perversion, uh, perversion, and drunkenness. That they be uh, timely, reliable, and dependable that they be honest in financial, tax, and ethical matters, that they seek a pastoral care and counsel when needed, Hebrews 13, 7, 
that they seek out and nurture godly friendship, Psalm 11, 3, that they have thankful and teachable spirits, that they be generous and have uh, compassionate hearts for the poor and needy, Psalm 11, 20, uh, 29, that they redeem their time and no priorities, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, that they desire honesty, integrity, and loyalty, Psalm 26, Proverbs 11, 3, that they have courage to resist uh, manipulation, pressure, and the fear of man, Proverbs 29, 25, and 2 Timothy 1, 7, that they be shielded from uh, occultism, new age cults, false religions, and secret societies, Isaiah 1, 29, 26, that they be presented with biblical worldviews uh, and principles, that they endeavor to restore the sanctity of life, families, um, divine order and morality in the nation, Ephesians 5, 22, 6, 4, that they would work to, uh, to reverse the uh, trends of humanism in our nation that they would desire humility and meekness and be willing to serve and cooperate, and that they be prepared to give us account and to give account ultimately to Almighty God, Hebrews 9.27, with whom we all have to do. What a privilege it is to be called to pray for those in authority. We may not have an appointment in their office. We may not have access to them by phone or even email, but we can pray for them and ask God to intervene in the affairs of men so that they would be leaders of good repute and of good count, uh, good counsel. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, we know that God is sovereign and nothing comes as a surprise to him, whether we face uh, fluctuating economies, threats from Abroad, unrest at home, or other troubling circumstances, our Heavenly Father is not caught unaware. Through prayer, we're able to tap into His wisdom, His strength, His protection, and His peace. He stands ready to respond to our needs when we humbly ask for divine intervention in the affairs of men. As we pray for America, whose pledge of allegiance recounts that we are one nation under God, and whose currency states that in God we trust, we want Americans to encounter the God who rules over their country. He who forms the mountains, creates the winds, and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name, Amos 4.13 says. He is the one who gave us this promise in Second Chronicles 7.14. He spoke to the children of Israel, but I believe if we do uh, similar that God will help redeem our nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, Will forgive their sin and will heal their land. As we humbly and diligently seek him, we'll be changed and we'll see transformation in America through prayer. So how do we pray for America? By praying it in the seven centers of influence, certainly government, praying for our leaders, as well as the judges in our, our courts, ask God to grant them wisdom to act with integrity. We pray for our federal government. Consider praying for our president, vice president, cabinet members, congressional leaders, Supreme Court justices. We need to pray for state government. Consider praying for your governor, executive leaders, legislative leaders, judicial leaders, and local government. Consider praying for your mayor, city council, 
police chief, fire chief, judges, county officials. And pray for the military. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them and encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. With him only is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. That's what he said in Second Chronicles 32, 6 through 8. Now, we're not in a uh, theocracy, but we can ask God as we pray for our military that we would act in ways that would honor him. Pray for courage and dependence on God, perseverance to endure hardship, divine protection from the enemy, uh, wise leaders who inspire respect from those under their command. Uh, pray for confidence and vision to persist in the face of negative publicity, uh, protection and support for the families they have left behind, and chaplains who are divinely appointed to uh, deliver hope and spiritual strength uh, to members of the military. We also need to pray for the media. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4, eight. Well, the decision makers within the media, we need to pray that they would uh, realize that they can make a profit by producing family-friendly projects. Christians in media to find favor, to be uh, filled with creative ideas that bring kingdom principles and life-giving messages to the public. Uh, and we can pray for these spheres. Again, the media, we can pray for uh, state government, federal government, local government, and, and so on, on this national day of prayer. We need to remember business, uh, integrity among Christian workers so that they win the right to be heard, in, um, impartation of ideas and resources to open principal businesses, especially in areas that need an economic boost, that Christian workers would display Christ-like humility and service to their uh, employers and display that before their co-workers. In the area of education, a return to truth in Judeo-Christian ethics, a safe atmosphere conducive to learning, excellence in educators, equal opportunities for every student to achieve their full potential. If you call out for um, insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2, 3, and 4. We need to pray for the church. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human, tra human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. That We need to pray that the church would find a new zeal and commitment to the mission and purpose of Jesus Christ, that there would be unity uh, with and among churches that reveal God's love to the world, a return to the absolute um, absolutes of God's word, an integrity that God's people look and act differently from the world, and a holy fear of the Lord released in the hearts of God's people. And we need to pray for the sphere of the family. If a house is divided against itself, Mark 3.25 says, that house cannot stand. We pray for unity and love in individual families that reach out in hospitality toward others, the reestablishment of relationships between parents and children, and a return to family values that serve the nation as a whole, a return to the biblical mandate to train their children at home in the fear of the Lord and not leave the responsibility to others, even a great Sunday school program or a wonderful church. 
It's primarily the responsibility of parents. So these are the spheres in which God calls us to pray. And again, what a privilege it is to come before him by invitation uh, and to make our petitions known. And in the process of doing so, we strengthen our relationship with him and grow deeper in our love and regard for him. Well, today being the 70th National Day of Prayer, it is a time in which many across the country, many hundreds of thousands have come together and as much as is possible during this um, quarantine uh, to lift up their voices and their hearts in prayer. It begins with personal humility, acknowledging our own uh, shortcomings uh, comings and asking God, first of all, to forgive our sins before we pray about the sins and shortcomings of others, recognizing that we come before God's throne of grace, not by our own merit, but on the righteousness of Christ, that none of us, those who call upon the name of the Lord and those who are far from him, none of us has earned or can earn our place of favor before God, but it's only his grace through faith that we have access to that throne and through his son. So we come with humility, acknowledging that we desperately as individuals need God's guidance, uh, his mercy and forgiveness, his grace, but so do our neighbors, those who know him and those who do not. And so we pray not with arrogance or a sense of superiority, but recognizing that we want them uh, as we have enjoyed the fellowship with God to be something that they enjoy as well as the eternal life that begins now and extends on into eternity. Well, the culmination of the National Day of Prayer is the national broadcast. Um, Andrew Palau, our own Andrew Palau, is part of that um, a team that's going to be hosting the program along with Kathy Brunzel, who is the chairman of the National Day of Prayer. Shane and Shane will be performing, and there are lots of other uh, names and faces that you would uh, would recognize. It's being hosted by the Museum of the Bible and OneCry.com. Uh, and we're inviting you to join the, uh, the event, 6 o'clock p.m. this evening. You can uh, uh, watch uh, as they're streaming online at nationaldayofprayer.org. And all the details can be found there. Again, I pointed out that this marks the 70th year since uh, Reverend Billy Graham stood on the steps of the state capitol in February of 1952, called for Congress and the president to establish a day of prayer. By April of that year, President Truman signed the legislation into law. And through the decades, the efforts of the National Day of Prayer uh, Task Force have been to mobilize Americans to observe this day when we come together with one purpose in all 50 states and in U.S. territories to praise God and to intercede for our nation. So this is a um, tremendous opportunity that we have to agree together for this purpose. Now, the theme this year is, Lord, pour out your love, life, and liberty. The theme verse is Second Chronicles uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Again, love, life, liberty. So take advantage of the opportunity to enjoy the uh, program at 6 o'clock p.m., this evening. I want to thank James Blind, Clark Hilton, and Dan Rice uh, for assisting in today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.